0: And welcome to episode 157 of Fun With Cars for coverage of the Australian Grand Prix at the, I don't know the name of the town, where the Red Bull Ring is. I'm Robin Warner.
1: I am Jim Lau, and it is actually not the Australian Grand Prix, but the Austrian Grand Prix. Oh man,
0: did I say Austria? Oh, God. See, I knew it. I'm tired. I knew it.
1: Right, in the beautiful Austrian hills though And this is uh, the return to this track uh, Since, what is it, 11 years it's been Since we've actually uh, had No, they were there in March there. Hey, come on
0: Still um, the Australian Grand Prix Austrian Grand Prix See, I can say it I am capable of saying it correctly Right I just choose not to
1: So this is now the This is We talked about this in the last show Formerly the A1 ring I think sponsored by Steak Sauce now, it is the Red Bull ring, so obviously they're going to do whatever they can, and the Red Bulls are going to come out on top, and it's all just going to be a whole big marketing, manby-pamby kind of thing. Uh, so, you know, I don't even know why we bother talking about this as a race. It's
0: true. Of course. I mean, it is silly, right? Except that what you just said didn't happen at all. What? Yeah, I know. They broke the rules.
1: Yeah, man. So, the last place, we'll start at the very bottom, finisher, Danny Kefiat in the STR Junior Red Bull team Yes, um, with uh, suspension failure and that the right rear suspension kind of ceased to be attached to the car properly. And uh, then he's like, oh, I have no brakes. It's like, oh, it's because your tire's not on the ground. Um, second to last was Sebastian Vettel in the Red Bull Racing Renault um, with, <laughs> who had uh, lost drive, apparently. Then, then he was going really, really slow for a while. Then he what, turned it off and on again. Uh, Then regained drive for a little while, had a couple crashes, and then then just decided to be done. And they were like, wait, this is dumb. Um, And then they retired it. Uh,
0: Which I think, frankly, just to stop you there, that was them giving up and being whiny. To me, meh. I'm not thrilled with that decision.
1: Right. Uh, And then third from last was jean eric Verne and the other STR, Junior Red Bull, uh, with brake failure. And that was a spectacular brake failure. That was with only 10 laps to go. So that was... uh, uh, certainly a, a sad retirement i mean all these guys it's, it's unfortunate to see them out of the race but um yeah the only cars that retired were two strs and the red bull um and then the remaining one dan ricardo um finished eighth which is a couple of points but uh you know it's still you know not uh, not a, a sterling result for i do
0: believe it's four points to be right, exact
1: right um and uh you know just so for being red bull being all sponsored by this and owned by uh the red bull company oh, and being all
0: sponsored stuff, is nothing i mean the fact that the owner of the team, Z, that also owns the racetrack. That's fairly, I would say, unprecedented.
1: Yeah, I don't know that we've had that kind of thing before. Um, and just really not a great result for any of them, um, and some worse than others.
0: I, uh, but again, and we've sung his praises plenty here, and we'll be happy to con- continue to do so. Ricardo did a solid job and held on, and he was a good fighter. And on the very last lap went from ninth to eighth and doubled the number of points he was going to take home. So again, I think credit where credit's due to Ricardo for making uh, some lemonade.
1: Yeah. And, you know, being generally sort of positive and upbeat about it as he often is, right. He was actually run off the road by Vettel. Um, when Vettel had his failure and was sort of coming back on to rejoin traffic. Um, it was a lap down at that point. He pretty much ran Daniel Ricardo off the road. We didn't see many like replays or whatever of it, but um most drivers, I think, in that situation would have had stronger words about their teammate and he was kind of like, Oh yeah, yeah, you know, it is what it is, it happened and you know, I'm I'm back on, you know, I don't even know what quite, what the deal was, but just like not accusatory at all and yeah. he came on to, you know, have this good result and whatever. And maybe things would have been different if um, if somehow Vettel had I don't know how this would have happened, even being a lap down, but if somehow he had done better than Ricardo if Ricardo had problems or something and then it might have may have been a little bit like, yeah, you know, it screwed me up to have, uh, to, you know, lost position because of Vettel rejoining in a weird way. Um, but, you know, we haven't yet seen Ricardo, like, properly mad. Um, that might be an interesting setup to, sometime to see, uh, you know, see him really just go nuts at somebody and go, man, Vettel, I hate that guy, because whatever. Um, hey,
0: if you're looking at this season, uh, Ricardo has more race wins than Vettel does. And I think that just helps for a quiet confidence that, oh, my teammate, he's still learning. So yeah. I'll give him a pass.
1: I mean, right now, uh, Vettel has 60 points in the championship, and Ricardo has 83. So almost a race wins uh, difference between the two of them. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's, uh, you know, interesting, uh, <laughs> just <laughs> because of who these guys are and, uh, and
0: how it's all come together. Well, I believe you started too far ahead, because once again, I want to take it back to qualifying. And there was... A lot of fun surprises for the Australian Grand Prix that took place there. Um, Australia
1: not or Austria? I don't know. Which good. We're Do I keep doing
0: that? Austria. Okay. I didn't Man. know how far
1: back you were going. Just exactly. But,
0: okay. Yes. Austria. There. The qualifying, I think, was frankly the most exciting part of this event. And seeing that uh, we saw a difference among teammates again, uh, we had, for example. Uh, Jensen Putten unable to get through to Q3. Yeah. And Kevin Magnuson being, uh, doing very well in Q3. He uh, he was uh, sixth on the grid. And uh, Fernando Alonso against Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, they were both in Q3, but the difference in performance was striking.
1: And fourth to eighth, you know, in, in Alonso's favor.
0: Exactly. And uh, also Daniel Kthiet, he was seventh on the grid compared to... Vern, who was 14th on the grid, uh, that one might be the most impressive of all of them.
1: Well, Sebastian Vettel out in Q2 uh, going 13th and then Daniel Ricciardo making it on to Q3 to get 5th is a pretty big one as well.
0: And there we go with Red Bull again. I mean, they certainly caught headlines, didn't they? Just maybe not in the way they originally intended. Right. But then, of course, um, all those things being important, the the most impressive thing was... Williams Martini Racing. OMG, Williams. OMG, indeed. They had just a really cool performance because early in Q3 session, Valtteri Bottas put in a stonking good lap time. Um, that was that held pole for most of Q3, and uh, and it beat out Rosberg and Hamilton the first time around, and then it beat out Rosberg the second time around, and then Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton kind of biffed his first shot at Q three, and then really biffed his second shot. We'll get to that in a second. But then, right at the last moments, literally the the session was over. We're just letting the last people run through their last laps, and Massa nips it and takes pole position. Brilliant stuff.
1: Right. Well, yeah, it was. Um, and it's to not only have you know Massa one guy up there, but to do a one two. It was a combination of an excellent job for Williams, but also. Mercedes not, not being at the top of their game. And I'm not saying this to, to defend or take anything away from Williams um, because uh, it, it's, it's interesting. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as well where the idea of these uh, qualifying sessions is not just that, you know, you get one shot to do it. But you have this whole session over which to try to, you know, get better and better lap times and set these things. But the way it has evolved with tire use and so on is that it is basically down to one or sometimes two uh, shots at a pole lap. So if,
0: if you really want to, you can take two cracks at it.
1: Right. Um, so that was interesting because, you know, uh, Hamilton essentially only had one proper shot at it, and he blew it. Um, it was at the very end. It just had rear lockup. The car came around on him um, and just went off track, and it was just, you know, nothing he could have done at that point to, uh, to come back and make that lap work. Was, and- that,
0: was that his fault, though? I mean, that really seemed dicey. Like, maybe that was a weird setup choice, perhaps, or...
1: I mean, yeah, there wasn't a car failure or anything, but yeah, weird setup choice or heating the tires, you know, not quite going right or brake, brake bias. I mean, there's a couple of things that certainly could have gone uh, gone weird for him, but I think the key is, uh, you, know, it, you know, whatever happened, he spun um, and which well, completely yeah. shot his lap, but also that meant it was a local yellow uh, when Rosberg, who was right behind him, was coming through on what would have been his pole run. So I, I don't think it's the case, and uh, well, what we saw bear out in the race, is that you know the Williams aren't now faster than Mercedes, but they're right there in pace. And when the Mercedes have trouble, they uh, the Williams are able to uh, to take control of it there, and um, it set them up for uh, you know really nice battles throughout the race. Really, I think we had. I think I disagree with you, sir, that the qualifying was the most exciting part of it, uh, <laughs> because it was you know it kind of it definitely had this build up to the last minute, and then Hamilton all went wrong, and then Rosberg couldn't couldn't get through and whatever. But I think we had a really solid race all the way through here with. Lots of different areas of battling and, and how, you know, Williams and the and tire strategy and pitch strategy and Perez up at the front for a while uh, with his super long first stint and so on. Even Alonso leading for a lap, even though that was just pit rotation, whatever. Um, so I think we had just plenty to look at, plenty to watch, plenty to follow. And uh, it made for an exciting event. And I, I, I give the Austrian Grand Prix the, uh, the stamp of approval. I think it was a, a very good event.
0: Let me jump ahead chronolog- chronologically a little bit here. There was a lot made by the announcers, by uh, uh, Lee Diffie and uh, David Hobbs and the rest, Will Buxton, of course, about the body language between Rosberg and Hamilton. And I felt like this round especially, that that has been over and overplayed. It's... Obviously going to be tense between the two in many ways because they are in the most important motorsports championship in the world, arguably, I suppose. But in my opinion, the most important. And they are one, two in this championship. Right. And it would be Hamilton's first in a long time and Rosberg's first ever. It's really important to both of them. Right. So there's a built-in obvious amount of tension going into that situation given that i feel like this round didn't show more tension than other rounds do you see what i'm saying i mean they showed uh they showed gratis back gratif- good lord they showed satisfaction to each other they showed um gratitude towards each other about um that's the two words i was trying to say at once there you go <laughs> uh, uh, towards the at the end of the race you know Hamilton gave Rosberg kind of a fun, grippy kind of hug and that kind of thing. But whenever they weren't talking, the announcer said, oh, look, they're not talking to each other. And I just felt like, guys, give it a rest. Don't make this more than it is.
1: Yeah, and and it's funny how – I mean, I give – Uh, the announcers and everything in general, some leeway because, of course, they're saying these things, uh, trying to just, you know, keep the conversation going and and talk live and they can't take it back and edit it and whatever later. So in a way, like, I understand they just want to kind of come up with things to say.
0: I know, Um, but we're approaching. Did you see that bird?
1: (laughs) That was good. Um, But... uh, A
0: little inside humor.
1: But, you know, it's funny because sometimes, you know, they go, oh, man, these, you know, former... Uh, former best friends, and it's like, they, I don't think they're ever best friends. You know, uh, Nico and, and Lewis have known each other for a long time, and they, they raced used to each unicycle other.
0: together, right, so... Right, that was
1: clearly a thing. That's
0: clearly um, BFF territory. But
1: today they're like, well, it's always been frosty between these two, and it's like, I thought they were best friends, you said last <laughs> week. So, you know, whatever. It's It's you know, trying to make their stories. But I think I agree with your point though. It's like, it's already interesting enough. What's actually happening right yes, in front of us is interesting. Exactly. enough. It's not the case that, you know, it's just all oh, one guy's out winning all the time. We're like, well, there's only the one story we can try to make something up between these two guys. It's like, no, it is legitimately an interesting battle regardless of the emotions behind it. Um, and in, in, a, in a way aided by the emotions, but in a way like, I don't really care what they're thinking because there's really good, you know, on-track action and there's passes and there's strategy and there's, uh, you know, one guy's got to push and then his brakes are wearing out and then he's got to back off and then the other guy's got to back off and they can use push to pass at the end. Like it was, it was great on its own without any artificial drama. So why bother with the artificial stuff?
0: Exactly right. And I think the other thing that is worth mentioning, by the way, is this is kind of just who Lewis Hamilton is, and. Part of what makes Lewis brilliant is part of what makes him frustrating to his teammates. He is genuinely, in heart of hearts, extremely passionate about winning, about performance. He's always looking, and he takes it very personally, and he wears his emotions on his sleeve. So he'll be physically distraught when he's not winning like he wants to be. But think about Lewis Hamilton v. Fernando Alonso, his rookie year think about Lewis Hamilton v uh well okay Kovalainen but that was cuz <laughs> Kovalainen didn't you know really show anything Lewis Hamilton uh v Jensen um whenever they were actually on track there were clashes it got quote unquote frosty so now that it's Lewis Hamilton v Rosberg and there's they're close again is starting to bring a little bit of tension but that's just in my opinion anyway that's more than anything Lewis's character and I think that what's brilliant about Rosberg is he kind of plays the Jensen Button side of, the, uh, side of things uh, in terms of consistency and performance and a little bit more even keeled. But he's got just a little bit more speed and he's a little bit more youthful and he doesn't yet has his driver, have his driver's championship under his belt that he has just that more edge to push. And he's really proving to be a match for Hamilton.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is. Uh, Rosberg is now uh, solidly in the lead uh, with 165 points to Lewis's 136. I mean, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big deficit now for Lewis. Um, we have plenty of races to go here, but um, this yeah. was, you know, uh, you wonder, right, uh, if um, if qualifying had happened differently, if Hamilton had not had that lockup, if he would have been on pole. Uh, you know, I don't think that Rosberg is, is just in general faster right now. I, I mean, it seems like very, very even and maybe one guy's style versus another or just however people get lucky with starts and different things. You know, there's no reason to think it's like, oh, well, Rosberg's on this trajectory and Hamilton's falling off. It's just oh, things happen one way no. or the other, right? So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big gap right now, but that can all be changed, um, you know, with – a retirement from one or the other. Um, Obviously, that's what uh, we had in Canada for Lewis. So uh, there's nothing to say that, uh, you know, what might happen in the the coming races. But there's plenty of races to come and uh, plenty of time for those two to, uh, you know, maintain that battle. So I I think, uh, you know how, like, if you're slightly upset or grumpy, the most annoying thing someone can do is be like, dude, are you upset? Are you grumpy? Why are you grumpy? (laughs) So it's like, if if all these interviews, if Hamilton's there and and, and so, you know, all the questions are like, so you hate Rosberg, right? Why do you hate Rosberg so much? Why are you such a dick to him? He's going to be like, (laughs) Uh, At first, he was like, I don't even care. Now he's like, I freaking hate Rosberg because everybody just keeps making this big. It
0: becomes an issue. You make a good point. By the way, uh, real quick, if uh, Lewis Hamilton didn't exist, but everything else would be be the exact same, Mercedes would still be ahead in the Constructors' Championship. Nico Rosberg's points alone are enough to surpass... Uh, Second in the Constructors, Red Bull Racing Renault. That's true. And uh, I think this actually works as a reasonable segue. Uh, Ferrari is third in the championship, but um, Force India is still fourth in championship, which is impressive. Williams is fifth in the championship ahead of McLaren. That was true last season, but now they are but two points behind Force India. And I think there's a good chance that if Williams continues their form and Force India continues theirs, there's a good chance that we could see Williams fourth in the Constructors' Championship and potentially nipping at the heels of Ferrari.
1: Yeah, I was just looking at that, too. So Ferrari has 98 points, Force India 87, and Williams 85. That's very, very close in there still in the grand <coughs> scheme of things. and McLaren behind them with 72. So I wouldn't be that surprised to see Williams overtake Ferrari. I mean, with two solid, uh, you know, points-winning drivers. Um, you kind of hate to say that about Kimi Raikkonen and not calling him a solid points-winning driver, but he's not right now. Um, it does seem like that's kind of the path, that uh, Williams, their, their latest round of updates, clearly seems to have done quite well, even if we don't see one, two qualifying positions or even podiums, but just very solid performances uh, from them, um, just getting in the points and so on. Uh, they could certainly overtake uh, force india and I, I i agree that i think uh, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to see uh williams uh third in the constructors championship i think red bull probably staying second um behind i think mercedes being the obvious first place with over twice the <laughs> points of the the. well rivals. i mean
0: i should point out right now that uh, lewis hamilton does indeed it still exist so uh they have a healthy they have a healthy lead right now right um yeah it's it's real fascinating to see how that goes. Force India, uh, this article came out like a month ago. Force India said they have a big upgrade package coming for their car in England. Right. So the British Grand Prix could potentially see Force India become more competitive. However, that's not to say that William, Williams won't have yet another upgrade or that uh, any other number of teams, um, you know, McLaren and up, could have whatever kind of upgrade to improve the car. Um, but well, keep Force in mind, India yeah, claims
1: Keep in mind Force India It's their home race Silverstone That's where they're based
0: But right, keep they, in mind They are right like, They are when at he,
1: the circuit They are like right there yeah. They're
0: within the grounds of Silverstone right.
1: uh, But keep in mind Brackley where Mercedes is based Is just down the street So it's really it's their home race
0: Which wait wait, wait. So but I keep should, in mind oh, Lewis God. Hamilton
1: is English So it's his home race
0: wait, okay. But also
1: Williams is based in England So it's their home So it's England man It's the Fish and
0: Chips Grand Prix Wait a sec hold on What? I should keep something in mind.
1: Caterham, it's their home race. <laughs> <laughs> caterham comes Watch out for Caterham.
0: Somehow, Caterham scores 302 points in the next uh, Grand Prix. Yeah, right. I will. I will keep all those things in mind. Good. In addition to keeping that in mind, I will uh, give a shout out um, to Felipe Massa. He was on pole position. Had a great lap. He was thrilled for it and he showed everyone how happy he was about that cool but more importantly he did the worst of the top runners in this race he just didn't quite have the pace to keep up he wasn't able to threaten like botas uh did with the mercedes teams yeah but he wasn't he was genuinely okay he said look it was a great result for the team yeah of course i wish i did better but we still did well there's still hope that uh this team's going in the right direction and I'm happy for the team and I'm happy for myself. And I felt like, hey, that is exactly the, the attitude MASA needs to have, and I was very, very happy to see it.
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting because for a while um it was sort of the top four and they were right close to each other for a yeah. while behind Chaco Perez actually with the way the pit stops uh, went went down or his lack of pit stops did. Um but then yeah once once he pitted and everything kind of spread out a little bit, Massa just wasn't wasn't there uh it just you know faded into the back a little bit uh, so i think uh that speaks very well of botas uh as you know this is what his second year in f1 and uh you know new with the team and so on but to be able to or not new with the team Massa new with the team but uh botas carrying over for when the, the car really really sucked last year um but to be able to um hang on there and keep the motivation and you know just keep his head in the right place and and you know go on to stay on the podium and taste quote the best champagne he's ever tasted <laughs> so uh you know yeah that was that was actually you know uh, you know not i guess it's uh it's a bit awkward for Massa because i know it's you know for him being behind his teammate um is is uh, a sore spot for him if you will um he did finish just ahead of fernando alonso he must be pleased with that um, of course in the Ferrari. Uh, in this case, but uh, there was a while where you know Alonzo behind him, uh, where these, Fernando was faster than you. Jokes started popping into my head. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> you know, now in, uh, how the how the situation has uh, has shifted, but um, anyway, yeah, it's uh, you know well done to uh, to Botas to to really you know keep hold of everything and uh, and finish in a very solid uh, podium spot.
0: And well done to Fernando Alonso to just continue to keeps taking his nose in and maximize what he has and finished a solid fifth and only 18 and a half seconds off the winning Nico Rosberg, which honestly, that is an improvement to not be, because this wasn't, there was no safety car. This was genuine flag to flag pace. And uh, 18 and a half seconds is a lot better than what we've seen in the past, which is, you know, 40 plus seconds.
1: Yeah. And they're getting, I mean, they're continuing to be frustrated. Uh, Alonzo um, just, you know i think someone asked him a question to the effect of like oh wasn't it great to lead the race for that moment there and he's like no because that was just (laughs) the pit strategy it was never it's like you know they weren't really challenging for the win so you know it's it's one thing to say like yeah i was out in front but you know it really it's not doesn't matter he's still you know definitely just upset by the pace of the car what you know the speed of development what ferrari is able to get out of that and uh and so on so they're just still uh you know on on the back foot there and uh you know it's no consolation it's like yeah okay you're closer but uh but still you know to be behind uh to be behind Williams and all this in in today's race and uh and then you know it seems like the other teams are, are moving forward so um i you know there are starting to be some silly season rumors about will Raikkonen get dumped from ferrari midway through the season and if so midway yeah there's i mean it's rumors Boy. so who knows right wow but, um, well, you know, Marco Mariachi is there, and that they're—that's true. You know, He's a man of few words, shake things up. But if one of his, you know, a few of his words are, "Hey, let's fire Kimi," then, you know, <laughs> that uh, could be could be what it is. So, uh, so you know, that's just you know, stuff's being talked about. You know, I don't you know know anything to this effect. But, um, you know, it is it's a frustrating time uh, for Ferrari that that continues. Um, you know, and um, yeah, so it's it's good that they're closer, but still so far off, and that's, of course, because the Red Bulls happen to struggle today as well, and, you know, I think in general they're still not on the pace of the Red Bulls and so on, and, uh, you know, the constructor's results uh, reflect that.
0: Well, since you brought it up, uh, what what is your opinion on Kimi Raikkonen?
1: He got tired and just wants to go take a nap now. I, mean, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's, it's you know, he, he it's not that he lost his edge, because, of course, when he was at Lotus uh, last year, um, it was, he was right there and he won races and he was, you know, had some, was dealing with tire issues and dealing with interesting stuff. I mean, it's not, I don't think just like a, an, an age or general motivation thing, but I feel like it's back to this sort of, you know, the, this corporate structure and these things that don't really just fit his style and his personality and lifestyle and so on. So, um, how much that has to do with, you know, his, his performance, you know, when the helmet goes on and the, you know, the whole deal, but I don't, I, I don't really know, but, uh, it seems like It's just, you know, he's he's there. He's doing his things. He's, he's, you know, occasionally scoring points and so on. But um, we haven't seen any like, wow, man, Kimi, that was awesome. That was this really great move. I mean, we used to see that stuff, um, where there'd be this, you know, side by side action through multiple corners, and it was sort of like, man, most people would have just backed off, but Kimi's right there. But you know, just really close racing, but still fair and not not pushing the lines and so on. And that's just not what we've seen from him anymore. So I think the fact that the car is so off the pace, Alonso is more kind of in the company thinking and sort of towing a line to sort of, okay, let's do the best we can and we'll get any points that we can and whatever. And I think it's maybe a lot easier for Kimi to fall off that motivation a little bit and think, man, this car really sucks. Um, I could push eight times harder and get, uh, you know, one more place, but it's just not worth you know really putting his heart into it and whatever. And, you know, he's, whatever, probably making you know plenty of money and not so concerned about proving himself for his future or whatever and he's so far away from a championship uh, at this point that he's probably like, no, oh, I'm just going to kind of float around here and see what happens.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I don't want to get caught up in the it's the best thing in the world, it's the worst thing in the world kind of situation that happens when you're discussing. Because I remember this conversation with Kimi quickly starts reminding me of the conversation we had with Massa and his performance at Ferrari. And there's something about the Ferrari culture that breeds... Um, looking highly at one driver and not so highly at another. I mean think at think about Schumacher v Rubens Barrichello and then uh, and then Schumacher v Massa that was just that was an easy thing like one was the best ever statistically and the other one was a younger guy. But then Massa, Raikkonen, one year Raikkonen was clearly the best, the next year Massa was clearly the best. And then this whole situation with Massa and Alonso, it just seems like it—it it breeds not just one driver's better than the other, but one driver's amazing, and the other driver needs to go. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I wonder if that's part of why you know they got rid of who um, Stefano or whatever. If that was part of the culture, you know, and, and it seems like it's gone on since longer than him. But if part of what they're looking at as a team. Is hey, we need to not just put all our eggs in one basket, so to speak, but uh, but really focus on it as a, as a team approach and giving you know equal equipment and learning from each other's and so on. Uh, but if that's the case, then um, you know you wonder that the the, the lineup of Alonzo and Raikkonen is difficult to fit into that because of different. It's different styles, and they both have sort of you know certainly have egos going into it, and um, you know reputations to defend and so on. Where there is something to be said, I think for the uh you know kind of master and apprentice and yeah. you know it's like hey every you know the apprentice supports the master yeah he's the number two guy but he's learning from and whatever and then eventually you know the master retires or switches teams or whatever and then the next guy moves up and then it's sort of you know they they fit into that role so um having two guys and uh, that are both you know where they are in their careers and uh with with the records that they have and the reputations they have and so on as alonzo and and do it's just that's a difficult dynamic to uh, to you know manage them and make decisions between uh, you know kind of oh yeah hey Kimi like look look the way Alonso's doing it Kimi gonna be like <laughs> wow let me go sit here and learn from this guy or if he's gonna be like okay cool but I'm gonna do it my way so screw you guys <laughs> like it's just hard to imagine that really working really way better
0: agreed agreed um, but as you said all in all it was it was a great race it was great to see um, the Red Bull Ring. Uh, brought back to the formula one cars i think it is a fantastic circuit i love the fact that it's a circuit with less than 10 corners that alone is striking to me because it's like hey it doesn't need to be 20 corners to be a a modern racetrack you know it can be uh quote unquote simple without it being a simple race
1: right yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm on board with that too. I mean, that's that's when we look at like Valencia, for example, as a more recent example. It's what twenty three corners or something. Well, and
0: Circuit of the Americas. Uh, that's twenty corner track. Yeah,
1: that's a cool track though. Still, I mean, it's maybe a bit fiddly. I mean, you can it maybe is, do it, without a little section of it or whatever. It and,
0: is. It is a good track that would have been a brilliant track if it was a fifteen corner track.
1: There you go, right on. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, I don't know. It's tough to say because it's you know it, sometimes you know the older simpler tracks i mean you know we just had le mans this past week as well talking about you know old school track yeah uh, and obviously huh. yeah, that's you know, eight miles long so that's a little different in terms of the number of corners but the simplicity of it is part of the part of what's great and uh, and you know and of course it's an endurance race it's a very different thing but um but fernando alonso was there and uh did wave the french flag to start the race poorly <laughs> uh anyone who watched the 24 hours certainly the start of le mans knows exactly what i'm talking about that was a weak sauce flag wave if i ever have seen one and and i have seen one and that was it um huh. But, uh, of course that was, and that really just to diverge for a second on that, um, was a really, really good classic endurance race. Uh, A lot of the most recent Le Mans races have been sort of like 24 hour sprint races where it's always really tight and there's, you know, just, uh, you know, it's constant pushing and constant pushing, or we've had like hours and hours and hours of rain and safety cars and, and sort of nonsense. But, uh, this one was, it was, it was really interesting. We had some, some early damage in, 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 uh, Uh, you know, a retirement from one of the Audis, damage to one of the Toyotas and so on. But overall, like for a while really looked like Toyota just had it buttoned up, and it was like, okay, wow, this number seven car is doing great. And then it died, you know, just transmission issues or something. Um, and so all Well, of a sudden, Toyota's
0: never been known for reliability. Hey, That's on, just no. not their thing.
1: Um, then it looked like the Porsches were really strong, and they weren't really strong, but then they had issues with you know, not that long to go. Um, so it, was, it really just came down to the endurance of the Audi, which was not the fastest car, um, but it was an Audi one-two, and then the Toyota 3rd, that car that at one point was being rebuilt in the garage and was 43rd spot at one point, worked its way back up and through just sheer endurance and setting solid laps... Endurance, clever. Um, ...came to, uh, came to you know, be on the podium in third. So, you know, with and then the Porsches, I, I think were technically classified lower, but both of them had retired by the end of the race. So it was like proper old school, like, you know, not just set the times, but can you outlast the competition and so on and just, man, Audi, Audi could. So yeah. and in to the, them.
0: And in the WEC, Toyota had been winning. They yeah. had been proven to be the fastest machine of 2014. Porsche... You know, I think to a certain extent they had to know this. It, there are teething problems, and there are things that the only way you can (coughs) learn—excuse me—the only way you can learn how to sort out a car is by racing it. Which means that this, in certain ways, is going to be a training year, a testing year for Porsche. And if they come back in 2015, lessons learned, that they will be very strong and potentially formidable you know but even uh, the audi uh, the original audi R8 Le Mans car i mean that wasn't an instant success it had um, early iterations where they learned things and then they really came on strong
1: right with 15 wins from the la- or 13 wins from the last 15 years for audi it's just right they've really run pretty, with it uh, and
0: one of those non wins was a bentley win which was basically an audi win
1: right so anyway um, proper good times racing uh we did, i did a little bit of live tweeting from that and I, uh, you know, appreciate those that uh, were hanging out during that. But uh, anyway, we this uh, the timing for this race for Austria. Uh, we were not able to watch this one live and, and do that thing. But uh, just a quick shout out to that. And come on, Fernando, you gotta you gotta wave the flag better. If you're gonna be a flag waver, you gotta own that because that was not an alonzo style flag wave.
0: Maybe we just keep him in the cars.
1: You know, yeah, he he does he does pretty well there. Uh, and that's actually part of what you know the the stories were where. Um, you know, because for a while, uh, of course, uh, Mark Webber was talking about, you know, there was in talks with Ferrari and so on. And so now, even even after, you know, having to retire from the Ma, he still looks at Formula One now and is like, man, I'm glad I didn't go to drive for Ferrari because that wouldn't have been any fun at this point <laughs> in his career. It's not like, oh, it's a stepping stone to whatever. It's like, no, it's just as a car that really sucks. So I think it's, uh, you know, he's happy about that. And, of course, uh, Webber was on the grid uh, or on the podium today conducting the interviews. And I have to say already – um, he's only, you know, half a season out of Formula One, not even half a season out of Formula One, and uh, already conducting awkward podium interviews. So, um, you know, I guess in the fine tradition of uh, former Grand Prix winners and so on that uh, go on there, uh, I, I thought it was, it was funny because you think— uh, Well,
0: Coulthard, he, you know, he's probably the best at that. Uh, maybe some would argue Brundle's better. But, you know, Coulthard, before he did anything like that, worked for the BBC and got practiced in this these right. things.
1: And yeah, you know, certainly Coulthard, you know, yeah, has been commentator for years and so on.
0: And Weber but, is very much still an active driver right. in the aforementioned WEC right. and Twenty Four Hours in Long. Law.
1: He just acts, asks these like really awkwardly long questions and it's like, okay, I have five questions to ask you, blah 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 blah. Then the driver like tries to react and it's like supposed to be like emotional well, and he, I'm like Yeah, everybody it's He asks the
0: question and then gives his Guess at the answer. Yeah, and says, "Is that true? <laughs> Did I answer correctly?" I mean, and it... also
1: this, and also that. <laughs> Come on, Mark. Anyway, um, so good times um, to um, you know to I think overall the successful race for basically everyone but Red Bull. I mean, I'm sure Red Bull company. Um, I'm sure, well, as a company, they probably made plenty of money on this whole deal. That so. is,
0: I know, but there's just so much poetic irony in what you just said. That's all. And not just regular irony, poetic irony.
1: Wow. There you go. Um, But a successful event, though, in terms of, uh, you know, for, you know, just a track being back on the schedule and so on. um, We did have the... uh, uh, digitally overlaid advertisements for all these fly emirates. I just suddenly really want to fly emirates all the time uh, after yeah. watching this race. Totes. But also on, like, the last lap, there was that whole, hey, thank you, Mr. Manischitz, and this thing of love, Bernie, or whatever, like, overlaid on the track, which oh, is a big
0: goofball. Real quick, I sorry, Manischitz, cool name, great, whatever. Manischewitz, can we not agree that's a much cooler name? Because then we could say Manischewitz. Sure.
1: See? Can we not agree? Yes, we can. No, we cannot agree. Yes, we cannot agree. I don't know. You confuse me. Wait. Can we agree?
0: I, I think we can agree, but we don't have to agree. And no. if you don't want to agree, I don't we don't to have agree. to agree. No, I don't want
1: to agree. <sighs> I want to hear what our listeners have to say. But do you have anything else to, to talk about on this, uh, on, on the race and the event and the Red Bull fail that is what it is? Or uh, are you ready to move on?
0: Amanda Shavitz. An email from Paul Austin says, Hi, chaps. During the Canada podcast, Robin responded to a listener comment by suggesting that F1 doesn't use the best tracks in the world. I'd love to know which tracks you would both include and which tracks you would exclude. I added tracks from the calendar. Regards, Paul Austin. Um, First of all, Paul, thank you for the email. Uh, Lovely to hear from you and i'd be happy to have this conversation but i'm going to let jim start
1: right well i think your point at the time was that we haven't gotten to all the great tracks yet in terms of the season like we haven't done spa we haven't done monza even silverstone which is suzuka you know suzuka Suzuka. yeah so which um what else the
0: the few we just mentioned there those are epic world tracks those are good tracks
1: where else would it be cool to see formula one go again i mean we just this weekend had the 24 Hours of Nürburgring, which uses the Grand Prix circuit and the Nordschleife, yeah. and I'm like, it's really not practical as a which Formula One race. Which we could say,
0: by the way, this, this is just like a little nitpicky thing, but I'd always it's the Südschleife and Nordschleife. It's just south track, north track. Right. And the Grand Prix track is the south track.
1: Right. There you go, as in south ring and north ring. Um, so the, whatever the Grand Circuit or whatever no, 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 they call no. it. No, no, Schleife. Right. Um,
0: <laughs> uh, Germans their yeah. language their language i have to say no no kidding is awesome though i that's the language i know i don't know five to seven words of and um i wish i knew that's the language i wish i knew more of more than any other
1: well there you go um so it would be completely impractical to run modern f1 on the Nordschleife, but it would be cool so yes. uh i i you know think of that um other, I mean, it's 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 interesting. You know what makes it's, well. It's, hold on, though. Yeah. Hold
0: on. You're not constrained by tracks that Formula One used to go to. Any track in the world. Expand your mind. Think about it. And I think it might be a little easier to say what what are the tracks we could do without. Well, we mentioned earlier in the podcast Valencia. That's not a have-to-go-to to track.
1: Well, see, I would have thought like Bahrain, but then Bahrain had really good racing, and because it was wide, and, you know, it's like... But it's, honestly, it's Bahrain get...
0: and Abu Dhabi, neither of those... The tracks themselves, neither of them are naturally amazing tracks. I mean, let's just be frank yeah, about
1: but it. But I guess, but the point is, sometimes it's hard to predict what part of it is going to be amazing. Uh, like you say, you know, like Manza is, is one of the, the simpler... I mean, Austria seems to be the simplest track now, but... Um, you know, but Monza is part of its brilliance is that it's really simple and really fast. And, uh, and that's just part of what's great about it. Um, uh, but then Monaco is amazing as well because it's anything but simple or fast. So, um, Very it, true. sometimes it's a bit hard to predict and it's easy to think, oh man, if they were in Laguna Seca, that would be so cool. Uh, it's like, yeah, maybe, or maybe nobody would get, a, get past each other and it would just be a big parade. I, I don't know. So it's, it's actually well,
0: a trickier question than, than it seems. Okay. I think. But another, I mean, okay. Abu Dhabi, I'm going to stick with that one. Uh, that one's worth double, by the Singapore, way. Singapore, it's epic because it's in the dark and dusk and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, it does it, it's, I think, 25 corners. I don't think that track on its own does much right. for the racing and doesn't do it justice. So, in general, the newer tracks tend to be a little less engaging than the older ones. And I'll Let's be see. honest, I'll include Coda... Is a great track in many, many ways, but it's still not the world's greatest, in my opinion. It's one of the world's newest, and it is quite good. It does a lot of things really well. But, you know, to be totally honest, I would love to see, genuinely love to see Formula One cars go around Road America. I would absolutely love to see that.
1: I thought you were going to say Indianapolis for a second. I was going to be like, what? But now, Road America. Okay, I'm with you on that.
0: Right. I mean, if they modernized the circuits to get to F1 standards, but it was still the layout that it is, yeah, that would be great racing. And I would also love to see, even if it was only for one year, but just to see it happen, I would love to see a race at Laguna Seco. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so there's there's a couple tracks in the States. Um Europe is a little bit harder for me to think of tracks that aren't used anymore that are great. Although I will say that um oh now of course I'm blanking on the name is one of the old one of the proper tracks of England. Oh, Brands Hatch. Yeah. Brands Hatch, the uh, the original big Brands Hatch. So, yeah, there's tracks like that where you'd really love to see a big proper car get wound up.
1: Well, and even that, you could say, like, the original Spa circuit, you know, which is, like, way longer and lots more just fast-flowing roads because it was just country roads, you know, where, uh, you know, yeah, you could think a lot of the current tracks, like, you could say, okay, Monza, what about old Monza, you know, with banking and whatever? <laughs> like, you know, it, it could be, uh, yeah, you could kind of go go kind of wild with that. But but even then, so I think it's it's, it's interesting because it's not – a cut and dry thing to say. Okay, remove these five tracks and add these five tracks, and then you definitely have amazing racing. It's oh, just like agree with it's you. It's part there. of what's yeah. fun is like this kind of back and forth of the way that the drivers attack the corners, the way that the runoff is, the way that the surface is, the way the camber is, and sometimes just kind of the history of it is part of the magic. I mean, Monza is is really cool because it's really fast and it's simple and whatever. But also just you know the fact that the old track is there and the banking and the history and it's Italy and Ferrari and the whole thing. Like it's just. All kind of wrapped up, in, in, in Monaco uh, certainly has uh, has just that history to it as well. So that's part of what's crazy about it is the being able to see you know what what were cars like ten years ago, here, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, fifty, seventy years ago. You know, yeah, some sure, of these races sure. it's kind of like that's part of what's crazy about it. It's like man, we are still on these on these roads uh, that you know the cars had been on in the nineteen twenties and stuff. It's just kind of uh, it's kind of wild. So. Um, but it, it's, it's a fun question. It's certainly something that's fun to ponder. And I'll be curious uh, what our other listeners have to say on the subject. So uh, feel free to leave a comment on the show or send us an email or a Facebook message or tweet uh, yeah. with your thoughts. And the, the circuits that we missed or uh, if you think Suzuka's terrible or something, uh, yeah. let us know. Tell
0: us, tell us why we're wrong. Tell us why we're right. And give us, give us your top three, top five, whatever. And I will I will close this topic by giving my top three in the order that I think they belong in. Number one best race on the calendar for me monza there's just something about that place that i just absolutely love could be the pizza that we get to eat as a result but it's just it is simple and it is just big corners and chicanes but it is so brilliantly crazy fast you know when we were in the v10 era we were having average speeds approaching 165 miles an hour average speeds that is (laughs) that is so crazy right right number two spa because it's spa and spa is the most spa thing i've ever seen spa is incredible uh in fact uh, we were talking about this earlier uh the endurance championship that race at spa that was very cool to watch the uh lmp cars race around there what a great place and then number three suzuka Oh, Sector 1 of Suzuka with those flowing S's. That's so crazy cool. 130R. So crazy. I mean, just so The many... only figure-eight track on the calendar and all that? Yeah. It's... Yeah, exactly. And it's it's in Japan. Yeah, Mount Fuji. Uh, yeah, there's a mountain. Look, over there, a mountain. Fine. But the track, Suzuka. Mm, glorious collection of quarters. And, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, Iron uh, and Senna and Monaco is talked about synonymously all the time. Right. Fine, but Ayrton Senna and Suzuka also has a big following, and that is where um, Senna put together a lot of the development for the NSX. And I, there's a close place in my heart for the NSX as well. The Honda NSX for many people, the Acura NSX here in the States. And uh, so, yeah, Suzuka is just one of those brilliant places. So those are my top three. Jim, do your, what are yours?
1: They um, pretty much line up with that um I, I don't know like monza isn't quite as special for me maybe as it is for you um but uh
0: did i mention pizza
1: that's that is part of the whole experience though is uh is definitely a thing and uh, that you know all those uh, you know but I, I guess monaco for me is uh would would replace monza for you and uh, and then we'd be in, but i'm i'm on board with suzuka uh i'm definitely on board with spa and uh I, but you know monaco for me is just so so crazy and just inconceivable as a race, and yet it happens, and it works, and it is, and it's special, and the, the history and everything um, just makes that part of the craziness. So uh, uh,
0: That's fair. And Monaco would absolutely be a close fourth. For now
1: we were guy. talking top three. So oh, there you I, go. Anyway.
0: Lip sealed. Uh, we got another email. Uh, this one from Paul Peard. Thank you, Paul. Uh, and this one is for Jamie, and I will read it. It says, Jim. Said, it does not say that. It says, Robin, Jim, and Jamie just got back. From Le Mans 2014. After a five-year break from spectating, took the camera and tried to put into practice the advice Jamie gave um, following my question about what makes a picture rather than a photo taken at a race circuit. I took a lot of shots, and I haven't scratched the surface on picking a thing, uh, and he goes on. But basically what he's saying is he really helped. He really enjoyed Jamie's advice. He thinks it helped. He really enjoyed the noise he heard. Um... And he said, I love this, just a little bit of a uh, go America. He really loved the sound of the Corvettes. And uh, he included a photo. And I have to say, um, Paul, it is a beautiful um, dusk photo of a Ferrari 458 Italia. And uh, it's a great shot. And I think there'd be no reason why we couldn't put it on funwithcars.com.
1: Right. (laughs) Once we figure out that technology, we can do that.
0: (laughs) Ah, the internet. It uh, doesn't get old. But uh, so, yes, thank you very much, Paul, for that. It was uh, nice to hear.
1: So we did have some uh, feedback on Facebook, as usual, um, from the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, Craig the Kilt Wilson uh, remarking on the camera work during the race from Canada. You know, WTF with all the stupid crowd shots. And I completely agree. We talked about that a little bit. And... uh, that was really annoying. It seems like the you know, director people were just kind of all over the place. I do say I guess we didn't notice it during Austria, so I guess they were a little bit better. Although there were a few times they're showing like a Ferrari pit stop when it's like, okay, I get that the Ferrari's in the pit stop. I don't really care because he's not in for the win when there was like this you know, first through fourth place or first through fifth place or like right there on track. It's right. like I want to see the battle on track. Like It's all good to show me what's going on in the pits, but – you know, like, leave the little pit timer up there to show me how long Alonso stopped or whatever, but let's keep the camera on the track on the guy. So I, I agree with that and uh, and go from there. Um, we congratulated uh, Mark Page at the time for being uh, a top of predictions and, and, you know, predicting correctly. And he says, wah-ha-ha, ha, knowing my luck, this will last until next round. And then four hours ago after this race in Austria, he said, ah, what did I say about my luck? We'll talk more about predictions in a second. But, uh, yeah, so thank you, folks, for uh, for commenting on that. I did post um, a photo that someone put together on Reddit of the Massa Perez incident. That was all the talking point after Oh, that was a brilliant article, uh, yeah. After Canada. And it's it's kind of interesting, you know, because there was so much back and forth. And it's kind of funny now with, with Twitter um, that it's not just – these sort of sanitized press releases and things like that from the team, like you know, people are very easily able to just post whatever they want on their own account. Of course, you know, Checo Perez and Massa are both pretty active on Twitter and Instagram and so on, so they can just post whatever they you know is on their mind at the moment and say, "Man, screw this guy! I was doing this. I was going straight. He was going left. He turned into me. Whatever." So it went back and forth. Um, as we know, um, I think probably by, by now, uh, you know, obviously uh, Checo Perez got the penalty. Um, they appealed it in Austria, um, and said, oh, we should look into this again. And they looked into it again and said, nope, he stuck us the penalty. And, uh, you know, so I think, uh, in general, I think we were all on board with that. I didn't hear many folks besides Checo saying, um, you know, it's Massa's fault. So, uh, that, that is what it is, but it was a, a good debate going back and forth on that. Um. And then uh then of course we had the update from Michael Schumacher and then uh, you had uh your, your article on on that as well, which had some feedback to it.
0: Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, uh, thank you to Daniel Jewell. Of course we remember you and uh thank you for the email. Uh you know, he saw he saw the article I wrote and uh <laughs> he pointed out that uh I I some people are saying they have there's a photograph of me that was taken by my wife at the time that I was not so well and I was collect I was connected to a lot of tubes and wires and patches and bands and braces and on a bed uh let me be clear about one thing I am not nor ever was Michael Schumacher and uh Yes, I was in a coma, but no, I was not Michael Schumacher when I was in a coma.
1: Yeah, so this is kind of the weird thing about the internet. So Daniel, what he brought to our attention is there's an uh, uh, an Indian website that was running a story about Michael Schumacher, um, which actually the, the, their story was Michael Schumacher is brain dead, which is not factually accurate. Anyway, uh, that's not you know that's not what the news was. So somehow and hearing... by the
0: way, don't use a picture of me who was also not brain dead. <laughs> To say that Michael Schumacher's brain dead.
1: So I think through either some combination of mistranslations, because of course English may not be their first language, but also maybe this is clickbait or whatever headline bait for them. Uh, But by virtue of that, though, now just in the, you know, out in the ether of the Internet, um, your picture is associated with articles of Michael Schumacher enough as sort of the way keywords and links and things are that I think there are. There are probably several people in the world now that think that that is a picture of Michael Schumacher when it is, in fact, a picture of you, which is just really weird. I mean, yeah, and just kind of the way that information
0: is. I mean, obviously, there's like it is not it is not the weirdest way to be, quote, unquote, famous, which I'm not at all, nor do I think I am. But Internet sort of quasi famous, whatever it is. This is up there. This has to rank among the weirder ways to be that.
1: right. To be mistaken for you know, uh, just... be
0: mistaken for someone famous. Yes.
1: Well, and it's like famous. It's like you know the record setting. You know, crazy best F one driver ever, arguably. What you know? It's like of all the ways to statistically to have things... the best. Anyway, One driver. Right. We to, can say to be that. associated with Michael Schumacher and everything. So it's, it's really weird. So thank you, Daniel, for uh, making us aware of that. Um, and, uh, and thank you, Robin, for sharing your thoughts in the Road & Track article, which we then shared on the Facebook page and so on. And I think uh, a lot of people were um, pleased by your insight into it and uh, and your take on it. Uh, and actually, uh, Paul Bryant um, was appreciative of my perspective on it as, as being a close friend to someone who's going through the process, which um, oh, right. I didn't yeah. even really realize was you know a, a sort of a terribly you know, important uh, point of view on it, but uh, I guess it is kind of interesting from the outside is, uh, it was really interesting for me when you and I did the show on it to see, um and to hear from you what it was like for you, you know, the parts, because yeah. you know, where you weren't aware of it and you're like, I was walking on a bridge and now I'm in hospital and like, kind of, I was not really in pain or whatever. And then like how it looked from the ra- the outside of it. So it was really interesting to kind of trade perspectives on that. Uh, but yeah, uh,
0: you know, in some ways it's funny you say that in some ways, I, I have more twin twinges of pain related to the accident now than I, than I did back then because I was so heavily drugged. The amount of different chemicals that were running through my body, I, I don't know the details. I know in a large general sense what it was. It, it couldn't be healthy, but it was, I, I mean, it definitely goes beyond uh, my little chemistry set. And uh, that certainly played a role into all different things I was feeling and imaginations I was having. I mean, the recreational drugs that people use have nothing on what hospitals can provide. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, the thing with Schumacher is it's tough. You know, I have this, you know, the reason why I wrote the second article, well, the reason I wrote the first one, I was asked to. I do have a unique perspective on this just because I went through something – Similar, but even more so than that, fairly similar time frame. You know, it wasn't, it was only 10 months since my accident that Schumacher had his. And it's difficult to talk about Schumacher and talk about me and relate the two when I know in so many ways they are fundamentally different, but there are some similarities and they're easier to see the similarities on the surface. Schumacher, what he's going through is not all rosy, and I well, think... Well, neither
1: was yours. I mean, now it's easy to look back on it with a different, well, it, you know, perspective, because you're able to communicate with us about how true. you felt about it. I mean, it's very different. You know, we're still in the Schumacher ordeal. We are arguably sort of through your ordeal, and... Well,
0: you, you say that, and yet well, I have more another surgery scheduled. Well, I said so. arguably, and you argued it, so fair enough. Fair play there, sir. I mean... Here's, here's the thing. It, I think the most important thing that we need to take away and the, the thing I was trying to get across in my article subtly um, is Schumacher's family has earned privacy. And what we need to do to the best of our ability is let the Schumacher family deal with this situation how they want to deal with it in the privacy of their own lives. And the world will keep spinning, and so many other things keep happening. Formula One is staying plenty exciting, um, so we don't need to. I don't. I don't want to say harp on this, but like continually nag on. Hey, what's the update? Hey, what's the update? It's ultimately from love. People want Schumacher to do well, but it's it. it but it's, it's not, not productive. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it doesn't help
1: the cause. It doesn't help him get better for. His wife and his family and his doctors to have to answer questions all the time with right. basically like, we'll tell you when something new has happened, but nothing new has happened, you know, right. or it's like, is he going to get better? It's like, we don't know if we knew we would say, and you know, it's like, you can't know it's a body. It's not a, you know, it's not just some series of steps. We're like, Oh, are, you know, are you going to finish building this Lego set? Yes, I will. It's like, <laughs> no, we don't know. You can't say for sure. Yes or no. So. It's not helpful. I mean, people want to know just because they're interested and uh, because people. There's a lot of you know love
0: and support and so on. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I want to know, but it's just I don't have the right to know.
1: Well, and but there's also not, not you know we we do know. Are you like we know what the deal is for now? And presumably, when something when something happens, um, we will know that too. Um, it's like hey, if he's up walking around or oh, you look, he's riding his bicycle again or whatever. Like they'll tell us. I have confidence that um, you know enough enough people you know. I think Corinne, uh his wife, and so on like they they know how to get a press release out if they need to, and people will, will read it follow it, and so on so we don't need to we don't need to badger them and let them do their thing i think is uh one way to put that
0: i I would go on, uh, even further and say that's a good way to put that oh. it's you know it's something that we need to move on from but uh, uh once again, thank you to daniel Jewell to uh, uh making me aware that uh some people think that. I'm Michael Schumacher. It's just, I'm, I'm not, I'm saying it. I'm not laughing uh, because it's funny. I'm just laughing because it's so shocking and ironic and bizarre.
1: Yeah, and it's just kind of this one of these weird side effects of the world we live in and the way information is shared. And it's great. I mean, obviously the internet is an amazing thing, and, and we are very pro internet uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but. Uh, just the fact that that now for somebody read some article, uh, you know, in whatever country and is now like, oh, yeah, that's a picture of Michael Schumacher. That's what he looks like right now. And it's like, no, it's not. That's really weird that you think that because just some, you know, somewhere along the line, it doesn't take much for something to get mistaken and go on from there. So um, also thank you to uh, Mark Wallen and Philip North, who actually reshared your uh, your article on there as well. And uh, just to kind of yes, you know, appreciate sp- spread that. the word and, uh, and let make people aware of what's going on.
0: And I just, I just want to say it. Personally, myself, I do uh, really genuinely appreciate uh, Colin Maxt or Maxted uh, and uh, Paul Peard and Paul Bryant uh, for saying what they had to say. And I (laughs) genuinely appreciate that you guys said it was nicely written and that I use nice words. I appreciate that part as well.
1: There you have it um we also um man facebook they changed around the layout of our site so i apologize if anyone else is confused by it we are similarly confused by the new layout so if you're having trouble finding anything on the site um just bear with us um yeah there's not a whole lot we can do predictions is down on the left hand side yeah i have Um, it for me
0: right now it's under more
1: right well yeah so so there's the top bar with this lewis hamilton's car picture and our logo and so on and there's timeline about photos likes and more and if you click more, you can get to predictions. But also, if you scroll down on the left-hand side a little bit, um, it'll, it'll be under there under apps as and well. There's a predictions, but ab- predictions. above above yeah, photos. I see it there. So anyway, if you're having trouble finding that, but also now posts that other people share on our site um, uh, will be just underneath that. So There's photos. And it is set now that anybody can post photos to our page. Uh, we enabled that once uh, once uh, Neil Popham and some people told us how to do that. Ah, so, uh, uh, yes. So if you are at a race and take a cool picture that you want to share with us, or if you do a taste of the race and you want to share uh, the food that you're making that goes along with the cuisine of the race or any of those kind of things, um, I did see Lori Jordan had some pretty awesome-looking Austrian crepes this morning. Um, so anyway, if people want to share their stuff and uh, and, and do that, you certainly can do it. And, and hopefully, um, you know, things... Will continue to make sense on Facebook, although, as you know, uh, we don't have any say over the way these things go. <laughs> so, uh, that is what it is. Um, yeah,
0: we should uh we should somehow uh, be fan uh Mark Zuckerberg and maybe then we can have a little bit more influence.
1: Yeah, I wonder if he's uh, into Formula 1. You don't really see him at the, uh, at the So races, yeah, but but, but yeah.
0: does that mean uh, we should kind of say, hey Paul Peard, put your uh, Le Mans picture on Facebook.
1: Well, he could. Uh, so it's a little if we share something then it'll go out to all of our followers. So I try to do that kind of sparingly because we don't want to just, you know, spam everybody's news feeds with every article that we come across because, you know, if you if you want to follow autosport or motorsport.com or whatever, you can do that for for news and updates. So We try to sort of use that sparingly, but um, if you go to our site, uh, our our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fwcars, or there's links from funwithcars.com, then there's a lot more to it than just what comes into your newsfeed. So if some people, uh, I, I know a lot of people are aware of that, but some people may not be. Um, so it's it's worth, you know, if you click on one of our uh, podcast artic- uh, episodes or something, uh, then you can actually go and see more. Uh, people are sharing photos and, and articles and stories and, and, you know, their own quotes and things like that um, to the page. So uh, hopefully those things don't get buried too much with the new layout and uh, everyone can see what you're sharing. But um, it is, it's, it's very interactive and you're, you know, We always encourage people to uh, share what they want to say, share your opinions, your thoughts, articles that you find interesting, photos you take, all that kind of stuff is really great. So uh, thank you very much for doing so. And uh, indeed, uh, certainly photos and, uh, and, you know, that's all part of the fun. Um, We had a lot of people uh, live tweeting uh, this weekend, uh, as usual, good times. Uh, As we said, we didn't watch the race live, so I tried to stay away from Twitter and uh, and was successfully able to do that and not learn the the, uh, (laughs) race result uh, before it happened. (laughs) But... um, uh, you know, just a good crew over there as always, and I, I think those folks know who they are. Um, and I am actually looking forward. Predictions was a little bit wonky this time because I don't, you know, we had we had some uh, some craziness with Williams and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, so now that we have located predictions on the Fun of Cars Facebook page, yes. we can talk about it and. I have to say, uh, I, I, you know, I, I tweeted this the other day after I watched qualifying. It's like, I wonder if anyone actually had Massa for pole because how crazy was that? And well done to David Munchie Swanbro and Leanne Lister for pole. No. Yes, two folks had Massa for pole. They both went with Hamilton for the race win. Um, so nobody went with zero I mean, points. But very well picked for only two folks to do that. And, and that uh, would be one
0: point then. That them. is
1: correct. So then, a lot of people have Rosberg, Rosbergs, Rosberg Hamiltons. Um, two people went, Alonso, Alonso, actually, which was better than my prediction, which was Hamilton, Rosberg. Uh, obviously, I got a little bit hosed on qualifying with the spin and whatever, and it's starting ninth, um, but correct for the race. So Hamilton, Rosberg was a popular choice. I came twenty seventh this particular race. Uh, you, sir, uh, were fifty second. You and probably a hundred of your closest friends yeah, were tied with the Hamilton, Hamilton, right. um, was from was you know in fifty second place. Whoa. All the, all the way down to... Did you see...
0: Uh, uh, good job to Megan W. She had Reichen in hamilton and that was a better prediction than my prediction and many others of Hamilton-Hamilton.
1: Yeah, man, that's part of the fun. Is it's, easy to, uh, it's easy to just go, oh, it's going to be always Mercedes, whatever, but it's not, so that is very fun. So now um, Mark Page, as he said, is dropped from the top spot. Chris Barnes is our number one guy with just 13 points, and then it's actually a uh five way tie or sorry four way tie for second place but there are there are four people that have fifteen points uh, and then a bunch of people with sixteen points so it 's a very very close predictions championship here no one is running away with it and uh it's still all plenty to play for
0: real quick here because there was some fun things if you start going back yes there were several pages worth of hamilton hamilton yes and who did worse than folks that did hamilton hamilton well there were two folks Damien among them that said rossberg will be on pole and daniel ricardo will win the race and then there were some get this Two different folks, Peter Rankin and Jack Samuel Morgan said, Hamilton will be on pole, but Felipe Massa will win the race. Ooh, that's... Yeah, I didn't see that going. And then uh, Craig Wilson is absent. He is sticking with his Magnuson Magnuson that will come around one day. We had a Ricardo Ricardo. We had a Hamilton Perez. Oh, and uh, And then uh, a Hamilton Ricardo. That's a fun one. And then... Uh, From that point on, we have people predicting that Sebastian Vettel would have won the race with various people on pole. Those people
1: really got hosed. So I am still in 48th place. I had no change uh, in this particular race. So I I did uh, very average, I guess, for lots of folks. Damien, the spreadsheet, down two places. Yay for Team Human. uh, Down to 71st place. And uh, you, sir, are 107th place. Also no change. Yes. Um, But uh, anyway, so, you know, not crazy points, though. You've got 53 points um and uh which is you know in years past we've had you know hundreds and stuff of p- yeah, points exactly, with, exactly uh, right. in, unpredictability whatever i've got 34 points so it's not actually that big of a gap but uh anyway um that's uh that's how that stacks up for austria but two weeks two weeks fish and chips Um, definitely the the british grand prix and as i mentioned so i will be in england i actually don't know where i will be to watch the race Uh, if anyone knows of a great spot to go watch the race i mean i guess silverstone would be the easy answer it's expensive though i don't have a a race ticket or whatever um but uh if there's any particular spot you know in the greater london slash midlands area that is a brilliant spot to uh to watch the race then uh you know maybe tweet me or facebook message or something
0: might Uh, i suggest a pub Yes, has a place. To well, watch
1: that it. that was my plan, but there are several. I looked into it; several pubs what? in England, right? Really? Uh, most of them have fish and chips. Like more than three. Probably lots of them will have the, the racing on. But um,
0: by the way, uh, you you will be in England soon. I was speaking to uh, an English uh, English bloke. He's a racing race team engineer. I was earlier today doing some uh, much less important racing than Formula One, but involved with the racing team nonetheless. And uh, we had a very interesting discussion about mushy peas that uh, is traditionally served with fish and chips in England. And Was he for or against? He was on the fence. Yeah, see, I, uh, I've, I've tried it. I went for it, you know, because, you know, have got to try it, right? Your new country,
1: new place, new food. Not a fan myself. But you know
0: what he was for? He was for curry sauce. He said, oh, did the chits in there, and that's proper. And Everyone said, can oh, yeah. get behind a good, yeah, yeah. a good
1: curry sauce. Oh, yeah. With, that's uh, right. Exactly, that's that's right. the best of the fusion of, of you know cultures and food from all over the world, and then what you end up fish and chips with curry sauce. Right yeah. on, very Just good. Just real
0: quick, I, I was with the uh, Kinetic Motorsports who runs the Kia Optima World Challenge team, which is uh, you know sports car racing here in the states, and they they are doing very well. They are first in the championship, so congratulations to them. And it's a very potent Kia Optima. It must be said.
1: Right. That said.
0: Yes. Pole
1: prediction, pole position prediction, and race win prediction for England. You think Hamilton in his home race or Rosberg in his arguably home race? Uh, Mercedes. Why would
0: it be Rosberg's home? Because he
1: drives for Mercedes, who's based in Brackley was just really close to Silverstone.
0: Yeah, and obviously. But Rosberg's family is from Finland, and he takes German nationality. And he lived right, and but grew up sitting in an English and built lived and grew up in Monte Carlo. brand
1: car, though, because it's, it's part of the, he works for that team. His his. Paycheck comes from Brackley. Right. Right. Anyway, who do you think is going to be on pole? You think Masa for pole again? I mean, Motas is Massa Masa gonna...
0: for pole again? I did not predict Masa for pole last time. Well, I time. know,
1: but do you think, you know, Damien thinks Masa is going to be on the pole again.
0: Damien does think that. Damien does think that way, doesn't he?
1: Damien is just, like, programmed to think that way.
0: I am going to shock you, and indeed the rest of the world, by saying that Lewis Hamilton will be on pole. You just don't want to connect in there. And and Lewis Hamilton will win the race. Wow. No, it's getting the. Here's the thing I think that this race for um, Hamilton in Austria was a sign of recovery for him and a sign of his huge amount of natural talent that he can use as a buffer against his sometime emotional state. He screwed up in Q3. That still meant that he was ninth on the grid, not 20, 22nd or something, okay? He then, on the first lap, went from like ninth to 5th, okay? And then he was right up, he was right behind Rossberg from that point on, sometimes uh, ahead of him. So, he has the ability to bring it back together, and I think that uh, Silverstone is just as likely as any other place where he puts it back together. Let's not forget, this is the guy that, once he had a mechanical issue in Australia, went on to just own the rest of the beginning of the season. And it wasn't until uh, Monaco that he really had trouble.
1: I agree. As lame as it is to do the same thing for predictions, I'm on board with a Hamilton, man. I think, uh, I think that he will do well for all the reasons that you said. Let's, let's go ahead and say, so this will be good, because Damien... <laughs> Has uh, Damian thinks that Massa will be on pole because he was today, and that Rosberg will win the race because he was today. So, Team Human and Team Spreadsheet are uh, have a difference of views here, and uh, we will see in two weeks' time who is victorious and who is better. Um,
0: Don't blame spreadsheets. It's not Team Spreadsheet. It it's is, Team Spreadsheet. No, Damian represents. No, no, no. It is Team Heuristic Model. It is the spreadsheet is merely a tool to lay out the heuristic model. And it's an excellent tool well, for many things, both human and heuristic.
1: Well, Damien called you a tool too, but I don't see you, but you didn't make a big well, deal Well, Damien's of it. a
0: big jerk, but that's my point. He's a heuristic model jerk. He's and not a spreadsheet jerk. He's on jerk. Team Spreadsheet. No, 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 no. Team Human is part of Team Spreadsheet. Technically. Humans made spreadsheets. Well, technically it's not even a are great. spreadsheet anymore because now
1: it's all a Facebook app code well, done by the, the prediction stud himself, Neil Popham um and uh, and maintain, maintain guy, and it still works even way. with the new facebook redesign so well done neil because apparently nothing's broken um and, or you fixed it right away so well <laughs> well done um but uh, so it's actually not even a spreadsheet anymore it's now it's like team facebook code or whatever so it's team zuckerberg i don't know what it is but uh either way heuristic um, model yeah and uh so that that'll be good so i'll, I'll have to um i guess tread lightly I, I better not talk about football while i'm in england I know they uh, haven't had the best go of this whole sports ball championship that's going on right now. And, uh, you know, uh, the U.S. Has, uh, has done pretty well, uh, having just, as we started recording, um, have a, uh, a draw to keep us in the, the top two of our group and whatever. And I am following sports ball. That's really the big news here. Is that, I, uh, yeah,
0: that was a much bigger surprise to me as opposed to, Oh, did you know that this guy kicked a ball into this big thing with a net in it? Versus that guy that didn't kick that ball the same way. No, but you... The no. fact that you follow it and seem to care a little.
1: I kind of do. It's its weird. So it's funny because the first time uh, I was in England was 2006, last time there was a World Cup, and I was astonished. I think it was during a GP2 race. Not during Formula 1, but during a GP2 race. It was
0: during a GP2 race that Lewis Hamilton was in, and yes. he won, and when you started becoming very pro-Hamilton. right? Um,
1: there was... Uh, that was the
0: beginning of the end for your Toyota reign.
1: Right. There was football on screens during a race. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever because if there is a race happening. And there's like, you know, usually during a race. Um, and to be fair, it may have been qualifying or something. I don't, I don't recall the exact dates. But um, it was, uh, well, it was June, what, 5, 6, 7, 2006. But it was, I don't remember which day it was that had the soccer. Football, sorry. But. Um, I was, I was <laughs> amazed by the fact that there are race cars in front of people, and that's what's going on. And yet, what are they watching on screen? Football. People you, kicking a ball around.
0: You said and, the word soccer like you had just said the Lord's name in vain. You're like, oh,
1: sorry. Well, soccer is <laughs> such a dumb—I don't know. Whatever. Um, I, I am on board with calling it football. I am, I, or or to, you know in, in the U.S., I don't know if it's like this in the rest of the world, but in the U.S., you can, you can distinguish between North American football, which nobody calls North American football— um, or football, just pronouncing it in the sort of, you know, Spanish, Central American I was going to say because... this
0: more, I was going to say South American, I was thinking Brazil when you say Right, it that
1: well way. that's, you know, it, it kind of works in the most of the rest of the world and certainly the exposure we have to a lot of fans of football is, is, you know, with Spanish well, what's, language. What's or... the
0: most famous uh, football player that Americans know about? Certainly, Pele. And that's how Pele would say it. Well, there you go. There you go.
1: I was going to say David Beckham, but he would say football but in the English accent.
0: Yeah, and David Beckham, that's just... David Beckham's a, a celebrity and really famous football player because he's really good-looking, and he's good at being good-looking. And I mean, he's done Burger King commercials, for goodness sake. Like, that's not the same. Pele was, like, just so world-class, so amazingly epic that everyone knows about him, and he plays a sport that isn't traditionally as popular in the United States.
1: Holy crap, we just spent a few minutes talking about sports ball. Wow. All you right. started it. I did start it. That's true. So anyway, um that's that's a, that's a thing that's happening in the world and it's uh, funny how these things come around in four year cycles. But That is not the point. Um, (laughs) We will have to see exactly what our race is because you are not coming to England with me, so we will not be in the same place. But we will try to figure out exactly what our coverage will be for the British Grand Prix. But um, We will try to do
0: something. And and maybe we will uh, – we we don't know for sure, but uh, Jamie might also be in England to take pretty pictures of the place. And uh, maybe we'll have a conversation with him.
1: Maybe I can, like – Craig the Kilt, this thing, and, like, track him down um, just by, you know, spotting his accent in the crowd or something.
0: Oh, does it Jim the Kilt?
1: Oh, man. Uh, No, don't go down that road. Then (laughs) then we'll – anyway. All right. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, please do visit funwithcars.com where you can find links to all of our uh, various access points on social networks and uh, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube and whatnot. Haven't mentioned YouTube in a while. Um, but uh, there's, there's fun stuff going on all over the place. And uh, definitely keep in touch with us. Certainly for next weekend, I will probably be able to live tweet it because I will be in a place where it is convenient to watch the race live and so on. So thank you again. As always, I am Jim Lau.
0: And I am Ron Warner. Thank you, Dieter, for an amazing Red Bull ring.